Uh, in two days, we will elect a president. And one of the ways that we can understand God's absolute sovereignty and man's human responsibility is it's important for us to take the uh, privilege that we have to vote. And, uh, but ultimately, we know this. There's something greater than a democracy and a republic. Uh, There is the kingdom of God. In fact, every Sunday when we pray, do we not? We pray for God's kingdom to come, His reign and His rule. Great theme of Jesus Christ, because He is the king, is the, the kingdom of God. And we began looking at parables last week as we're going through the book of Mark. And so we're going to look at three parables that Jesus speaks of that have everything to do with the kingdom of God and your place in the kingdom of God. Several times through our text, he will say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So with that in mind, let's read God's word. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put upon a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what your heart, uh, what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. And the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make, uh, can make nest in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, in a few moments, we will receive the sacrament. And by faith, we'll feed upon Christ. Before we do that, we pray that we might feed upon your word as we hear the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that your kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting, and you are calling a people to yourself. And so, Lord, we pray, even as Jesus said in our text, that you would give us ears to hear this morning. That men and women, maybe for the first time, would hear the call of the gospel and repent of their sins and look to Christ and rest in Him alone. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your word in a way that brings life and brings hope and brings peace. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. About 20 years ago, I read a book that I thought was a significant book. Perhaps you have read the book. It was written by a gentleman named uh, Neil Postman. And the title of the book that caught my attention and had me to buy the book is titled this, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Discourse in the Age of Entertainment. And the thesis of his book was that news was no longer about the news. But everybody in the news had to have a market share, so everything became about what was sensational. It was about entertainment. And so rather than getting the facts and understanding what's really going on, we're getting entertainment, getting what is sensational. I remember one of the examples that he gave was uh, uh, about Big Bird and Sesame Street. And he said, what we taught children was not to learn to love, but we taught children that we had to entertain them, to teach them to learn. And so the impact of that, of the way we did do discourse, but now we're out here 20 years later, and I would suggest that we're beyond that. And now we are in the age of instant information, where everything is immediate. Not what happened 15 years ago, but what happened 15 minutes ago. Or what happened 15 seconds ago. I know I'm affected by that as I have my Mac computer and I'm trying to study and I've got all the ball scores, <laughs> right, that are constantly there. What happened in the last 30 seconds? And how does that affect the way that we understand the scriptures that are in a completely different context? Because at the time of Christ, what was news might be a hundred years or even a thousand years that people have been pondering. You've heard me quote this before, but somebody put it this way about the history of redemption. They said this, that when God said, let there be light, he spoke and because he was pure and there was no evil, when he spoke, immediately the world came into existence. Ex nihilo, speaking But when sin enters the world in the darkness and the twistedness of sin, it took thousands of years to correct that problem. So here is the challenge that I have this morning. The challenge that I have this morning is that I'm speaking to people who live in instantaneous society, right? And I've got to talk about things like mustard seeds, that you plant them and you wait and they grow. Or the mystery of planting a seed in the ground and when you plant that seed in the ground the farmer goes away and there's this mysterious thing that's taking place day and night and day and night and it begins to grow. But you see I have a challenge, don't I? Because we just want to know what's now. Tell me what I need to know. And we get bored with it 15 minutes later. But the challenge to you is this. It is important for you this morning in the 15 or 20 minutes that we have that you step outside your world of what's instantaneous and step into the world of what is eternal. Because you see, one day, when there is no such thing as time, and all is eternity, there will be no downloads. There will be no, uh, how fast can I get this? 
Because you see, there'll be no such thing as time. So this morning, uh, we need to look at these three parables. Because they're teaching everybody in this room, because His Word is eternal, about the kingdom of God and your relationship to the kingdom of God. I mean, in other words, where are you? In the context of that which is eternal, that which has been from the very beginning. So, my three points are the three parables. But before I look at the three parables, there's one thing that's very important that I do. And that is, once again, explain. John, you did it last week, but I think I need to say it again. What is the purpose of a parable. What is a parable? Why does Jesus speak in parables? Uh, One uh, commentator said that a parable is an earthy story that has a heavenly meaning. In other words, it's kind of like what we would normally think of a a fairy tale that has a moral of the story. And the child remembers the story, right? You remember a whole lot more of my illustrations than you remember exactly the application, right? And so, It it, it is to illustrate. It is to help you understand. And yet, here's what's interesting about the parables. In Jesus' mind, and the reason that he gives the parables, it is actually to continue to confuse those who have no real interest in it. So you might be confused about this. There's still not the, the clarion call of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his reign in your life. And so it's still a little bit fuzzy. Like the man who Jesus touched and he saw but he didn't really see. And so Jesus touches him again and then he sees clearly. And that is right before Peter makes his confession of Christ. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He sees it, but then when Jesus said he must die and suffer, he says, no, you don't. And Jesus has to rebuke him. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he saw but he didn't really see until the fullness of the gospel grasped him. And transformed him. Let me give you an example of this. I was in a Bible study uh, recently. Somebody I love was in that Bible study. You know, one of the things I hate about being all all over the internet now, I have to be careful what I say. But we were we're having a wonder with this 15, 20 people. We're, We're looking at the gospel. We're looking at the book of Romans. And we're looking about how Abraham was justified by faith. He was way before Moses. In fact, God called him way before he was circumcised. God called Abraham, who was an idolater, because God chose Abraham. And it was a wonderful Bible study. At least I thought it was. And so after the Bible study, this person that I love said, after everybody left, said, uh, is that what y'all do every week? And uh, I said, yeah. And he says, wow, I was confused. I didn't understand a dang word y'all were saying. And I said to this friend of mine, I said, well, it's because you're not interested. You've lived your whole life not interested And what is coming, your whole life has been about vacation and savings and IRAs. And you're getting old. And so Jesus is giving parables as a dividing line between those who just aren't that interested. So you just get more confused. And those who are hungering and thirsting for something beyond this world that's fallen and broken. 
In fact, they're hungering and thirsting for a righteousness that they know they don't have. And so Jesus gives parables. And again, you know, I ask you, what about you? I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm always having to ask those questions at an individual level or from the pulpit. Where are you in relationship to the reign of Christ? And the reality is that it's not a set of rules or believing in Jesus and trying hard to be a good disciple, but it is something that has come into you. And it's taking over your life in a good way. That's what he's addressing here. And so let me, let me look, look at these three parables, and I want, to see, I want you to think about each one of these and what Jesus is saying and where you are in the context of the kingdom of God and the reign of Christ. In the first uh, parable we see in verse 21, if you look at your bulletin, uh, notice what he says. And, and he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you'll notice, the first thing that you see in this parable is that Jesus is exhorting us this morning that you probably ought to hear what he just said. You ought to listen. You ought to begin to try to figure out how does this apply uh, to my life. Uh, But what does he want them to hear? What does he want you to hear today? He wants you to hear that ultimately the light that he's speaking of is himself. That he is the light of the world. That there is a kingdom of darkness. Can't we all agree to that? Even if you're not a Christian. If you don't want to call it a kingdom, you've got to look in this world and see that there's intelligent evil that's pounding against us. Things that we fear. We fear tyranny, which is evil. We look for liberty, and yet we look in all the wrong places. It is in Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, uh, there is darkness. And Jesus is saying, I am the light. Well, you've got to understand that the light had already kind of come way before he came. But to really appreciate what Jesus is saying is that even though he is there, it's not completely being manifested. So where do we see the light from the very beginning? Well, God spoke and light came into existence. God is light. His kingdom was long before there was a fall. But when Adam and Eve sinned, and if you'd like to get together, I'll buy your lunch and we'll talk about the significance of those historical people, okay? But when they sinned, darkness entered the world. Now, could God have brought his light of justice immediately there and expunged the darkness through judgment? Oh, yes, he can, or he could have. But for the purposes of God and his ultimate purpose of of the God-man Jesus Christ coming, he promises this seed who would be Jesus Christ, and throughout the whole Old Testament, you begin to see the unfolding or the pulling back of that bushel that's over the lamp. 
So you go to Genesis chapter 6, right? Uh, John, I think you referred to Genesis chapter 6 last week. In Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood, God let man go to be what man wants to be, what you want to be. And it says in Genesis 6, before the flood came, that there was only darkness, that there was wickedness, and all of the thoughts were evil all the time. There you have human beings, apart from God bringing light. And then he brings the light to Abraham. But it's not real clear. It's a beginning, a little bit of light. And throughout the Old Testament, through Moses and David and the prophets and Malachi and ultimately John the Baptist who points to Jesus Christ and calls him the light of the world. And so Jesus is here. And notice what it says in John chapter 1. For you who were going, I don't know if I really get this. I don't know if I want to live in light of this. I'd rather ignore the light and move over here and build my kingdom. He says in John chapter 1, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John is telling us that Jesus himself is the light. He's manifesting himself right at that time. And guess what? Did they see it? Now the question here this morning is, do you see it? Do you see it in a way that it begins to light up all the stuff in your life that needs to continually come before Christ? And do you look to him him by faith and say, God, work in my life? Is the light of, of the gospel beginning to help you understand the way you should do finances, the way you should do dating, the way you should do marriage, the way you should do raise children? Is the light of the gospel impacting you in such a way that Christ is your light, he is your life? Now, what's interesting about this is that Jesus says two things about this light that, you know, it's kind of fuzzy right now. But he says two things. Number one, he says, the reign of Christ one day is going to be abundantly clear. You understand what I'm saying? You you, you might kind of be getting it. And by the way, I kind of get it. I mean, I believe the gospel. But but there's still, I'm seeing through a glass darkly, right? 1 Corinthians 13. I kind of see, but I don't fully see. And so I'm having to live by faith. I'm having to go, oh, so I should tithe? Like, do I really have to? And, and, you know, the answer is, well, if you just could see the whole picture and see that I rule over everything, you wouldn't have such a problem with it, right? But notice what he says in verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be manifested, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Here's what Jesus is saying is listen, the light that you're beginning to understand, you're starting to see that this is different than what you've grown up with, is ultimately going to be manifested at my second coming. Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What that means is for everybody here, okay, not including, or maybe I should say, including everybody that's not here, Everybody that's ever lived will no longer one day be fuzzy about who Jesus Christ is. That's the first thing that he's saying. 
This not meant to be put under a bushel. I'm eventually going to bring it out in full throttle. But to now the light is here to call those who are needing light, who are willing to admit their darkness. But the second thing to see is this. Uh, You need to respond to what you know. You need to respond to the light that's there. Notice what he says in verse 24. He says, so pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you, for, for the one who has more will be given, and the, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see what he's saying? Here's the principle of the kingdom. The kingdom of God comes. You're hearing the gospel. You're responding to the gospel. And when you respond to the gospel, you begin to read the word more. You want to be with God's people. You're not pulling yourself aside. You're interested in God's people who are interested in God's kingdom. And and the measure that you're given, he'll give more and he'll give more and he'll give more. But to you who continue to resist, even what you have will be taken away. And I, I have to say, I'm often amazed at how many people that profess Christ aren't that interested uh, maybe members of the church. I mean, anytime I get a chance to go to Sunday school, I'm not, it's like, oh, I got a Sunday school. I'm not saying that, okay? <laughs> but anytime I have a chance to go hear Gary or, or John teach, uh, I don't usually because I'm going over my notes up in my office, but I love to go. You know what? Every time I go, I learn something. To be in small group, to, to, to be with God's people, to say, hey, yeah, we're all in this together, right? We're going to make sacrifices. We're, we're going to build God's kingdom together, right? We're going to do that. But you see, the promise is that he'll keep pouring that oil in, the oil of the Spirit. But when you begin to move away from that, you begin to neglect God's Word, and you begin to neglect prayer, and you begin to neglect all these things, basically what you have is spiritual anorexia. And you think you look fine. And yet, I have dealt with anorexics uh, over the years as a campus minister, and you cannot convince somebody who has that disease that they look fine. And so they, 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 uh, they continue to starve themselves. They continue to malnourish themselves. And they think everything is good. But they're dying. That's Jesus' warning. That's the first parable. Now, here's the second parable that we come to. The second parable teaches us uh, this. The truth about Jesus and the kingdom of God has to be sown. Look, number one, it has to be sown in you. It it has to be and taken. It can't just be sitting there on the ground. But not only that, but God uses us as instruments to sow that seed. Notice what he says in verse 26, if you would, in your bulletin. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground and he sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The earth produces it by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Listen. Let me tell you, if there's anything you should get in that parable, is that it is God who brings the fruit. I've never been able to convince anybody of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham hasn't been able to do that. 
Tim Keller in New York that everybody loves to listen to after they listen to my tapes. For y'all that I know Tim Keller, he's a great preacher. But, you know, Tim Keller, we think, oh, we just need to get Tim Keller here to speak. Then my friends will believe. No, they won't. They won't believe. It is God who gives the seed. It is the word of God as it is implanted. It is he who gives the increase. That's what John talked about last week. That the seed that falls upon the good soil, it begins to bear fruit 20-fold, 40-fold, 100-fold. But it's God who gives the increase. But it is us who are to say. I believe that with all my heart. I've looked at this. I think most commentators believe this. To sow the seed. You know the greatest preacher the world's ever known, or one of them, is C.H. Spurgeon. And maybe you know this story, but uh, he didn't know Christ. And he was on his way to church, was, uh, the Presbyterian church, Baptist church, and it started snowing, and he got stuck, and so he dipped, you know, stuck his head into a Methodist church, a little storefront. And the preacher, the Methodist preacher, couldn't make it, and there was about six people there. And so the shoe cobbler got up, and he, he didn't know how to preach, but he went right out of Isaiah and started preaching out of Isaiah, and he pretty much said the same thing. Uh, look to the Lord and be saved. And he looked at Spurgeon, who was about 16 years old, and he said, young man, you look like a miserable man. And he was. He was depressed. And he said, look to the Lord and be saved. And he was converted. And because that shoe cobbler was willing to preach a sermon that he didn't know what he was doing, God takes that word and implants it into to Spurgeon, and it takes, it takes life and Spurgeon has become a great, became the great preacher and thousands and millions of lives have been influenced because of that one caller. We are to plant uh, that seed. You know, one of the things that I have enjoyed in, in the years that I've been in ministry is, is, I, is I've planted seed and is to see the effects of the seed that have been planted. Uh, when I was a, a chaplain at Vanderbilt, nobody wanted Vanderbilt there. The PCA didn't want it there, and uh, certainly Vanderbilt didn't want it there, but God gave us the grace. We started RUF at Vanderbilt. And, uh, and the Lord began to work, and the seed began to t- take root, and the students were coming to Christ. Well, I come down here to Vanderbilt. I mean, I come down here to start the church uh, here years later. And then uh, our son, Ben, was being recruited uh, by Vanderbilt years ago. And so, when they, so we went up there, and they had these little girls that were showing him around the campus, you know, and so I, happened, I asked him, I said, um, by the way, have you girls, have y'all ever heard of a ministry called RUF? And they said, oh yeah, we're real, real involved with RUF. Matter of fact, there are a lot of students involved with RUF. And so, of course, I said, hey, you know, I used to be the, I was the first guy that started at RUF. And she looked at me like, I don't really care. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't care either. And now I haven't even met the campus minister that's there now, and there are hundreds of students at Vanderbilt hearing the preaching of the gospel because the word of God is going forth. Now let me just say this to you. You go, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not gifted at communicating. Listen, all all you need to do is take the seed and scatter it. All you need to do is just be willing to share the gospel. And even if you don't know how to share the gospel, you bring them in the context of where the seed is, 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 is planted. Now, I know I've told this story many times and, and, uh, before I come to our last point, but one of the reasons I'm a believer is because of Annie Mae Brooks. 
a, a black woman who worked in our home for 30 years. And I grew up in a crazy family. Matter of fact, I saw a guy back here played football with one of my brothers. He can tell you that. But, but Annie Mae, for 30 years, every day, lived her life in the presence of Christ. And because of her faithfulness, that impacted me to understand the love of God in Jesus Christ, not the Presbyterian minister. Though Annie Mae has gone on and, been, and is with the Lord now, I, I know that Annie Mae continues to minister to people because she was faithful to plant that seed in my life. Now here's the third, third and the last. Uh, we only have a few moments with this because we need to come to the Lord's Supper. And that is this. The last parable teaches us, and this is, my, this is my favorite, not just parable, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It teaches us that the seed that's planted will grow and will become something great. Notice what he says in verse 30. And he says, With what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds of the earth. When yet it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. What a great promise. I think one of the reasons I've always loved this passage of Scripture is because of another passage in, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, that says, Never despise the day of small things. And the reason that's always intrigued me, I guess, is because I've always been interested in starting things. To start, to start an RUF at Mississippi State or Vanderbilt, to come and start the church. But the thing that's exciting and very scary at the same time is, Lord, will you do this? Lord, will you make this happen? But the promise of Jesus Christ is... You go plant it, and you go away, and you come back, and because you planted it, because it is of me, it is sovereignly coming by me, great things will happen. You know, I wish I could tell you story after story of the things that God has done, I mean, right here, right here in this church. When I came here in 1996, knew about six people. Very committed to being downtown. Very interested in unchurched people, de church people. Wanting to see the church become so relevant because we love each other and we'll encourage and build each other up in the faith and reach our community that I wanted to be downtown. And then after I've been here about three or four years, I thought, well, there is no place downtown, right? And so I was getting very discouraged about, I don't know if we can ever make this thing happen downtown because there is no parking spaces. There's nothing downtown that we could buy. I mean, I looked for about two or three years. And but one day, because God wanted us here, like we're here, right? I, I was, uh, went to uh, what is where the trapeze is now. It used to be Larry Adcock's furniture store. And Larry Adcock is a, a, a fellow Christian. I didn't know it at the time. He's a member of a Baptist church. And so I walk into his furniture store. It used to be a furniture store. I'm looking at the ceiling, and he starts looking up at the ceiling, and he says, I don't have any furniture up on that ceiling. <laughs> he says, you're wanting to buy this place, aren't you? And I said, is it for sale? And he said, no, nah, everybody and their brother wants this building. 
He said, but you mind if I ask you why you want this building? I said, do you mind if I tell you? He said, no. And I said, 70% of the people in Athens, Georgia, don't know Jesus Christ. And, you know, I want to come here and I want to start a church so we can win the loss of Jesus Christ. That's why I want to be here. And thankfully, he was a believer, and he said, man, that's awesome. I'm for you. Now, after I left uh, that, then he said, it's not for sale. And I'm back to square one. I'm very discouraged. There's a guy in the real estate business. He's, uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, he comes in and says, that day, he says, hey, by the way, uh, Larry, Paul Brown, who owns that Firestone building right down there, he wants me to find somebody to buy his building without anybody in Athens knowing about it. He said, no, how am I going to do that? And Larry Adcock said, I know the guy you need to call right now. So that day, I walk in the door, and all these walls are aluminum painted, okay? It's nasty. And not only that, there's a bunch of cars jacked up in here. And I want to make a long story. Long, well, i got to make a long story short. But the bottom line is, God has given us four acres downtown, and lives are being converted. Lives are being changed. Why? Because the Word of God is being planted here. And it's growing and it's mushrooming. We're going to have a vision banquet. Uh, not banquet, a uh, lunch in the back. I come on to the back. We're going to tell you what's going to happen next. Downtown Ministries, y'all remember two weeks ago we, we announced that, right? Downtown Academy. We make the announcement. Okay, we make the announcement. We don't know how we're going to do this. And did y'all see the paper like five days later? Zaxby's decides they want to give Downtown Academy $70,000. Let me ask you, you think that's coincidence? Or do you think that God Almighty wants to work through us to bring the kingdom of God here to Athens, Georgia? That's what he wants to do. So I close by asking you this. Have you met Christ? Are you excited about God's kingdom and what he's doing? Or, or really, when it gets right down to it, you've got this compartment over here in your life. And you want to live your life. And you'll tip your hat to Redeemer. You'll tip your hat to God's kingdom. You tip your hat to the church. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. And what he gives, he'll give more. But to that, to those who begin to move away, even what is there will be taken away. Jesus is willing to work because he's already accomplished the work. He is the seed that died that shed his blood to be raised from the dead so that we might have life and we might have purpose. And I would invite you to come into the kingdom of God this morning. Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we go to our va- uh, vision at lunch, we pray for your presence with us as we go talk more about what you have done and what you are doing. And Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that it's coming, and we thank you that you're so gracious and kind, and Lord, that you are willing to save those who come and say, Lord, I am tired of the life of darkness, the life of pointlessness, and I want to enter into your kingdom. Lord, cause them to know that today, this morning, if they hear your voice, that they would repent of their sins and come into your kingdom and know the glories of what it means to know Jesus Christ. And Father, for the rest of us, would you increase our faith that we would grow in the gospel and the knowledge of the gospel 
And that we would see you do great things in and through our lives and through us corporately for the sake of the city and your kingdom. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen.